Welcome to the Casual Fridays REI podcast, where you'll learn about the wildly profitable niche of land investing. Active land investors Adam Southey and Justin Sleva are here to share their experiences with you so that you can learn how to build massive cash flow and huge profits from this highly lucrative niche. So without further ado, here are your hosts, Adam Southey and Justin Sleva. Hey, what's up, guys? I'm Adam Southey here with my co-host, Justin. And Sleva, and this is the Casual Fridays REI podcast. Today, we're really excited to have Mitch Steven, the self made creative real estate investor, entrepreneur who has perfected a method of achieving cash flow without having to be a landlord, an expert at breaking down two plus decades of experience and explaining the logic behind the art of creative real estate investing and how private money changes everything. Before we dive into that, though, let's talk about the Plum Investment Group. Guys, do you have a property that you need funding for? Plum Investment Group is your solution. Plum helps land investors grow their business by funding your raw land purchase. It's truly an awesome deal, guys. And just to be clear, this isn't a loan. Plum will actually partner with you by putting up the money for your project. So do yourself a favor. Go check out the website at PlumInvestmentGroup.com. Happy Friday, sir. Hey, happy Friday. Man, this is a cool show today. I'm, I'm kind of excited about this. we got a fellow Texan on the airwaves with us. He's from, he's from the San Antonio area. And he does single family, but I love the twist to it. He's just taking other people's money. Yeah, I... Uh, was kind of excited to see another Texan on here too. It's not, it's not that there's obviously a ton of people doing real estate in Texas, but I don't feel like we ever talked to a lot of them. No, we've had a bunch of Canada, a bunch Canadians, of Canadians, Californians, Californians, Cal- Coloradians. Yeah. But now we get to the Lone Star State to represent with Mitch. Mitch, welcome to the show. Hey, how y'all doing? I'm happy to be here, man. Cool. Well, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and kind of what you do, the, the elevator pitch. If you had two minutes to pitch me on, what would it be? I don't know. There's a lot, but uh, let's stick to. <laughs> I got like eight businesses, but everything kind of morphs, you know. Um, so I, I bought a house about every four to five days, in or about my hometown of San Antonio, Texas, for over two and a half decades. So that's about a hundred houses a year for over about about twenty five years. So I'm never the smartest guy in the room, but there are some things I know a lot about, and it's just because I was out there so long, you know, and got messed up so long that I finally had to figure out how to keep from getting hurt. So, um, you know, I do know the buy with OPM, sell your houses to your buyer with seller financing for 30-year fixed notes. Uh, I know that business really good. I also mm-hmm. do the same thing with land myself. I buy, I, I, I look for things to sell or finance. So, yeah. so land, land homes or land and mobile homes, um, you know, regular mom and pop houses, you know, three bedroom, two bath, you know, 1200 square foot houses, whatever, just regular stuff, nothing fancy. And, uh, I like to be, uh, somewhere where, I can help people break the rent cycle so they can get out, they can quit being a renter and start becoming an owner for about the same price per month. And I can be part of that transition. So that's what I'm, that's my, that's one of the things that turns me on. The yeah, other thing that I mean, turns me on is, is my podcast, uh, kind of doing what you guys are doing, helping people find their niche so that they can become financially free, even at the most modest level. So they can quit their job, so they can free up twenty six hundred hours a year to figure out who they're really supposed to become, and that's the other thing that turns me on. So uh, that's my two. That's my two higher reasons right there. Nice, I like it. Well, that's a good reason. You said, uh, did you say two and a half decades? Yeah, yeah, years. hard to believe. You know, I'm turning. I, I just turned sixty years old, and 
my partner's a young whippersnapper, about 33, you know, and uh, uh, he reminds me very much of me back when there were never enough deals to satisfy me. Today, you know, if I never see another house again, that'll be fine with me. Although I do want to still be in business. So my primary function right now is to make sure that my partner never has to ask anybody for any money. Uh, I am in charge of the private money um, lenders. I have $26 million worth of private money lenders uh, out on the streets right now that I'll be, you know, Today's the first. I am making payments on it. $26 million right now as we speak. So somewhere there's a printer running out of ink. <laughs> oh, man, that's that's fun. So I want to unpack what you said there because it, it's kind of interesting. You said four every four to five days you've been buying a house for two and a half decades. Give us the secret. Yeah. What's the secret, Mitch? Well, how I figured that out was, you know, I wasn't counting any of this. It's just the one day I had, someone was threatening me with a lawsuit and I knew it was bullshit. So I said, you know, I got the file. The guy signed the paper. Then no one mislead anybody. I'm going to go over here and get the file. Well, no one could go get the file. I own 14 storage facilities with 1,300 doors and one of them's dedicated to housing my old files, one of those units. And so I finally just drove up there myself because the anxiety of this guy's threats was killing me. So I went up there myself. I went into this locker and I opened up the door and I thought, oh, my God, how many houses have I bought? You know, because from floor to ceiling, everywhere you looked was was containers of files of houses that have been consummated and closed out. So later on, I went and so I went and told someone to go count every single file, and all I had to do was the math. I started and I quit my job in March of 1996, and whatever the date was that day, and I just did the math, and that's what it was. And that doesn't—that's just acquisitions. That doesn't count having to sell the house, which is a whole other set of closings. You know what I mean? Yeah. Or sell the note, which is a whole other set of closings, and that doesn't count all the deals that fell through that you tried to do that didn't work. So. There, that's where most of the experience is in is in the files that never made it. That's where you know the ones that you lost. That's where yeah, the experience. I, I noticed going through your website, thousandhouses.com. Correct? Hey, correct me if I'm wrong there. Yeah, one thousandhouses.com or one zero 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 houses.com. But that book was written and that title was discovered in two thousand and eight. So okay. you know that was a thousand plus houses ago. So wow. So. On there, you said you like the aha moments. Can you give us one of your favorite aha moments? Yeah, I mean, there's been a lot of them. Some of them really big, some of them small. I mean, the one that just jumps out at me is when the day that I figured out that I could bill my my buyer who was paying principal interest taxes and insurance to me because I was financing the house to him for 100% over what I had in it. You know, like, so I had, I, I had 50,000 in the house. I'm seller financed with this guy for a hundred thousand. And someone said, you know, you can collect the $35 servicing fee for the servicing company along with that. And I was like, holy shit. If I'd have known that, you know, 15 years ago, I could have made another million dollars and just serve just, you know, servicing fees alone, you know, little things. You know, when you first get into this business, you can go to a, a seminar and have to leave early because you're just overwhelmed. It's like drinking information from a, a water from a firing hose, you know, like drink, drinking water from a fire hose. It's too much information. But as you get older and more mature in the business, you can hang around all week at a boot camp just trying to find one thing you don't already know. 
And yeah. when you find that one thing, you know, you think, okay, mission accomplished. I found a nugget. I figure out how I'm going to make my money back from this, you know, $3,000 seminar or $10,000 seminar or whatever the case is. And you go back, you know, another aha moment was, was, um, not having to discount your notes to sell them. I mean, I don't discount my notes as a general rule when I sell them. Uh, if I want to give someone a better position or a less risky position, I just hold more and more of the back end of the note. You know, I hold two years. That decreases, you know, they have to buy the note for $87,000 if they want to pay par for it. Par meaning they're going to pay me exactly what I'm owed. You know, I have a 30-year 10% note. Maybe a couple of years have gone by. They're going to pay me, you know, $87,000, and the face value of that note's 10%, so they're going to pay me exactly what's owed. But they might say, you know, the house is only worth 100 so uh, I, I, I don't feel comfortable. You need to discount that 87 down to some other number so I feel more comfortable. My answer is I'm not discounting crap. What I'll do is, is I'll hold five years of the back end, and that'll drop what you owe me for this note uh, down to, to 80,000 instead of 87. Is that good enough? They say, well, no. I say, okay, well, I'll hold six years. It's going to drop it down to, to 78,000. You know, you know, so I'm not giving discounts. What I'm doing is trading some of my money up front today for a whole lot of money tomorrow. Yeah. And so it's not a discount. It's a trade. So instead of discounting my notes, I just hold more and more of the back end until ultimately at some point, at some point, the note buyer has to say yes. I mean, because I can just keep holding more and more than of the back end of the note until it's a no-brainer. Nice. Or until, they, or until they disclose to me that they're just bullshitting me. <laughs> <laughs> they never work on the thing anyway. You said you use uh, other people's money for everything. Are these <clears throat> are these like uh, hard money lenders? Are these uh, people that no. you met through? No. They're private, private people, private lenders. No cost of funds. No points. Um, flat interest only or or amortized but um, usually I'm paying between six and six and eight percent right now I've paid as much as 10 to 12 percent you know in different points of my career but now my reputation is so solid and and money is so cheap right now through the banks and everything that people are ecstatic to have six seven percent rate of return with a real tangible piece of collateral, which I never borrow more than 65% of whatever I can sell or finance the house for. So whatever I'm selling that house for, I'll never borrow more than 65% of what that number is. And I only average, I average borrowing only 58%. I mean, but, but just the most I will ever borrow is 65%. So I give my private lenders a really good cushion. I give them a real decent above average rate of return with a solid, solid piece of tangible uh, real estate that they have a first lien on. So they're either going to get paid or they're going to get my house. And here's my promise to them. If I ever can't pay, which has never happened in my 27-year career, but if I ever can't pay, you won't have to fight me for my position. I will walk you my position in my house. If I can't pay as agreed, I will walk my position over to you. There'll be no foreclosure. You won't have to call a lawyer. You won't have to do shit. If I ever can't pay, I'll walk it to your house. Man. That's a that's a handshake right there. I like it's it. never it's never happened. I mean, yeah. they got the right to foreclose on me, and in case I don't walk it over there, I mean, they have all the power, you know, mm. because I gave them a first lien, a solid first lien position on a solid property with with title policy. But 
but it's never going to happen. I look all my private lenders right in the eye. If you don't like that house for the amount of money you're loaning me, then don't do this deal because I have two rights every day of my life as a private lender. I owe $26 million, and it's non-recourse collateral only, first lien wrappable money. Wow. And so every day of my life, I got the right to pay as agreed or to walk you my position in that property. If that position is I own it, then I, then I walk you over the deed. If I have a note on it because I sold it to someone, owner finance, and they owe me a lot of money on it, I'll, I'll walk you over my note. Whatever my position is, I will walk that position and my first lien rights over to you if I ever decide or can't pay. Now, I got to say this really loud. It's never, ever happened in my career, and I don't think it's ever going to happen. But it's there for catastrophic reasons. If I'm going to pay you this much above average, you know, what are bank CD rates right now? 1% less? Yeah. Yeah. If I'm going to pay you 6 7 8%, then you've got to share in the catastrophic risk. What is catastrophic risk? Uh, I don't know, downtown San Antonio gets a dirty bomb dropped in it by Kim Jong dumbass over in Korea or something. That's not my fault. I have no way of knowing about that. And I don't want to be held responsible for that because I can't control that. You know, I don't get in this business to gamble. So I'm telling you, all my private lenders, you know, if I can't pay, I'll walk it over to you. But it's the only way I'm not going to be able to pay is if something catastrophic happens. Nice. That's the only way I'm not going to be able to pay. And I don't want to be held responsible for anybody's money for catastrophic reasons. You know, when you go sign at a bank, you're guaranteeing meteorites, acts of war, terrorism, floods, locusts, you name it, disease, COVID. You're guaranteeing anything that can happen, fire, anything in this world. And you're crazy if you think you have that much control over this world. You don't. So you brought up COVID there. How did that make you come into this? When you came into COVID season this last year, how did that fare for your business? And how did you buy buying buying houses with other people's money and selling houses to people who put at least 10% down? And I am averaging 15% down on my houses from my people because I get to pick and choose who I want because I have four days on the market. People are fighting for my houses. I get to pick who I want. So I'm averaging 15% down. And this is someone's home 98% of the time, maybe even 99% of the time. They don't walk, people don't walk away from their homes easily, especially after giving, you know, 15% down. To put that in perspective, on a $100,000 house, which I don't even know if those exist anymore, that's $15,000. On a $200,000 house, it's $30,000 someone has to put down to get into my house, minimum. They don't walk from that cash down payment and the, and the emotional tie to that house being their home, very easy. So during COVID, no, no notice, no, no change in my foreclosures at all, none, none whatsoever. Now I did have 27 foreclosures rack up because the courthouses were closed and I, and the average amount of foreclosures happened, but I couldn't do anything about them. Yeah. So I had 27 foreclosures when they opened up the courthouse on April which was a few months ago. I had 300 notes over, how long was that? Six, seven, eight, nine months of the courthouse being shut down and COVID and everything. So over all those months, 27 out of 300 got behind in their payments. Uh, it was average. And this, I'm gonna t and this is why it's average. I'm fixing to tell you why. As soon as the courthouse opened and we sent letters from the attorneys that we were coming for our payments and our past due payments or we were coming for the house, 20 four out of 27 paid up in 10 days. 
We yeah. had $140,000 hit our bank account in past due payments and late fees. And then out of the other three, only one is left, and he is probably settling up with us uh, here in a couple of days. So none of them went to foreclosure. They just didn't pay because they knew I couldn't do anything about it. But when they found out I was serious, they started looking at that down payment they gave me and the fact that they had done a lot of improvements to their own home. Because, you know, when people move into their own house, they fix things up and they stay. Renters move in, tear things down and leave. Uh, owner financier buyers or, or seller financed buyers move in, fix things up and, and, and stay. So, yeah, I, I like that. that. And it falls in line with the numbers that, I had during the whole same for our owner, my owner finance land notes of, you know, I had four out of 40, um, get behind and it, a couple of them, we agreed to move their payments to the end and they caught back up and they were perfectly fine with that. And they haven't missed a beat since, but these were three and four year people that have paid into this and they were 20% down, 30% down on their property. So their money was, our money was back out of the deal, but they, they, you know, had nothing but to lose. And so we worked with them a little bit because they had good reputation. So I think the seller finance strategy is one of the toughest, most durable, most dependable strategies on the planet. And I wrote a whole book about it, My Life in a Thousand Houses, um, The Art of Owner Financing, where I show the difference between being a landlord and the difference between being a seller financier. And here's the thing I hated about being a landlord, amongst a million other things, was I never knew if it was my freaking money. The money would come in, but you know, it'd come in on January and then the, the rent would come in on February, but I still wasn't sure it was my money because then the rent would come in on March, but I still wasn't sure all that money in the bank was my money because the rent would come in uh, uh, in April and I still wasn't sure. And it's a good thing I didn't spend it because in uh, June or July, the air conditioner broke and cost me 3,500 bucks. And I had to give all that money that I collected that I thought was mine. I had to give it to the AC guy. So apparently all the money I'm collecting for the half a year was for the AC guy, not for me. And that pissed me off. You know, it's like I'm I'm working for all these other people. I'm getting nothing. Yeah, I'm getting some depreciation and appreciation. Those are the only two things I'm getting, because basically, if you're trying to live off the spread between what you owe and what you collect in the rental business, you're just breaking even. I don't care who you are. I don't give a crap. It's the biggest myth ever portrayed on the investment world. All this buy and hold bullshit. You know, if you if you. If you were using your IRA or your own cash and you were buying these houses for cash, I get it. You're probably making some money because you don't have any debt service. You don't have any underlying debt on the on the property itself. And I can see how that would work. But so I started moving over to the seller financing side because as a seller financier, you're the you're the bank. Mm -hmm. When the money comes in and the check clears, that's your money. And short of a foreclosure. No one's going to take it away from you. Not the hot water heater guy, not the plumber, not the electrician, not, not the air conditioner guy. Nobody's showing up because guess what? I don't own that house anymore. I sold it on payments. I'm the banks. How many people out there, I wish I could see, how many people out there own your own house and have a mortgage to pay? Raise your hand. Okay, all of you people that have your hands up. How many people called the mortgage company to get your air conditioner fixed last time it was broken? <laughs> and of those of you that still have your hand up that said that you did, I would like to know what they told you. Because they probably told you you'll jump in a lake because, you know, you don't call the mortgage company to, to, to have anything to do with your air conditioner. It's not their problem. I think so, we found Mitch's, uh, Mitch's like point of like inspiration to get into this, the owner financing side. You got tired of paying a damn plumber. 
and and here we are later. You figured out how to I make it work. Tired, I got tired of all kinds of things. I got tired of people moving in, not giving a crap about my, you know, back then my forty, fifty, sixty thousand dollars worth of uh, uh, property value. They didn't care about anything. They had no pride. They certainly didn't care about me. If if they had any thoughts about me at all, it was I was the rich bastard that made them write a check every month instead of I'm the I'm mm. the gracious guy that afforded them a place to live. I'm looked at as a scumbag, and and you know, in and out of court on both sides of the table, I was looked at as a scumbag. Um, uh, you know, people had no regard for me or my property. So when I turned the tables and I started becoming a, a seller financier, and people started, you know, giving me, you know, real committed people that really valued what I was doing was showing up because people don't hand over ten and fifteen and twenty and thirty and forty thousand dollars because they don't understand. Yeah, you know no, they do I understand, and they I know exactly it. the opportunity they're being given. They know exactly where they stand, and they're very appreciative that 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 someone is offering them a chance to have a loan to own a home because the banks have been telling them no forever and are always going to tell them no. My buyer is inherently flawed for whatever reason. Doesn't mean he's a bad person, just he's inherently flawed. He just doesn't fit into the system. I mean, I know some really good people that didn't fit in high school, don't you? Yeah, oh well, yeah. Yeah, I didn't fit in high school. I wasn't a bad guy. I just didn't get along with what they were trying to tell me to do. I didn't I didn't see the value as high as some of these people were trying to tell me the value was, nor did I see value in college. You know, I went to college and my professor's making $60,000 a year and he's telling me about business. I'm like, that's bullshit. And, and to top it off, and to top it off, he's explaining to me how he's having to file bankruptcy. I said, I'm, you know, I look, I go home, I look in the mirror, he says, I'm paying a man to educate me on business who makes $60,000 a year and is filing bankruptcy. This is asinine. <laughs> I have that I same can... argument about financial planners. <clears throat> you know, someone trying to tell you how to plan your finances and they're in debt or they can't pay their bills, but yeah, here they are trying to tell me how to do it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Reminds me of a marriage counselor I went to one time. <laughs> and, and you'll find that I'll tell you why I went in a minute. But but uh, his name was Dr. Well, I won't say his name, but he had been divorced three times. And I, I thought, what, what the hell? You know, I didn't pick him. I didn't pick him. But, you know, so I had to go to this counselor because a long, long time ago, when I first started out in March of 1996, in this game, you could buy houses for ten and fifteen thousand dollars in San Antonio, Texas, on the mm -hmm. lesser parts of town. In the lesser parts of town, ten, fifteen, eight thousand, you know, ten thousand, twelve thousand, eighteen. A really, a really decent house was twenty-five thousand dollars. Probably didn't need to do much work to it. Um, and no one would give me a loan, and I didn't know anybody, and I was not very successful up until that point in my life. I was about thirty-four. I had always been honest. I'd always paid my bills. I had good credit, but I never, I wasn't, I, I hadn't been able to find myself. And I was coming into age in this business. And I learned that they would, back then, if you had good credit, all you had to do was apply and they'd give you the card with all the maximum cash advances, $10,000 cash advance, $15,000 cash advance rewards. They, it was crazy. Some of my cards had $25,000 cash advance possibilities, you know. No one would give me a loan, but I could get 50 credit cards on a table. <laughs> and I went out and I racked up about $250,000 in credit card debt going around buying houses at 50 cents on the dollar with credit cards. 
and my wife found the credit card bills. I'd been married about a month, and you know, oh, no. hadn't learned yet that your wife, you can't keep anything from your wife. She figure everything out. <laughs> so I was still in that stage where I was going to just not tell her. Because I had spent eight years getting to the point where I had the balls to do it. Yeah. And there was no way I was going to explain it to her over dinner. You know what I mean? <laughs> I feel it, you. It took me a long time to get to this point where I knew what I was doing. I knew I wasn't worried one bit about putting $15,000 on a credit card because I know damn sure that house was worth 30000 I knew it. Yeah. and I, Or forty, And I knew that worst case scenario, I would always get my fifteen out. But I was probably going to make some damn good money. And I knew that. But it took me a long time to get to, to that point of confidence. You know what I mean? And there's yeah. no way... I was going to get someone up to speed on this in a couple of days, you know, that, that, that came, that was never an entrepreneur, didn't know anything about entrepreneurialism, never didn't come from an entrepreneur family. And in fact, quite frankly, was a pack mule and a job owner for the rest of their life until they met me. You know? <laughs> I could go so it's far so into that, Mitch. I'm going to stay out because I don't want to get in trouble because I got to sit no, next no. to my wife to have dinner. It, so she found the credit card bills and she said, you know, Wells Fargo says we owe them, you know, 30,000. Well, little did she know that it wasn't just Wells Fargo. There was, you know, all, every credit card company I owed twenty, thirty thousand $30,000 to. It was like $250,000 in credit card debt, that which I was not worried about at all. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and, but um, she packed her bags and was getting ready to leave. And I convinced her that she was being unreasonable. <laughs> Another thing you don't tell a new a wife, you know, you're being irrational. And let me tell you why. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So she looked at her watch, gave me 30 seconds to explain. And I said, look, you're leaving me because you feel like I'm gambling with your reputation and your name and your money. But here's the deal. I'm not gambling, but I'm going to put it in terms as a gambler because that's where you have it. You have it as gambling. So I'm going to put it in your terms and even show you in your terms why you're not making a very good decision. We're gambling. Let's say we're playing five cards stud. I've discarded two cards. I'm waiting for the dealer to give me my two cards. I have $250,000 of our money on the table and you're leaving before I get my two cards. That's just stupid. <laughs> At least let me lose first. <laughs> yeah, you can leave me when I lose. Yeah. But I ain't going to lose. So how'd you and end up with those houses? I, I, how'd, they, how'd they turn out? I made a small, I made $250,000, you know, or maybe I had to make a little bit less because I had to sell a couple of them really fast to make a point. And so yeah. I just, you know, I took lesser profits than if I would have held out for a little bit of time. Um, you know, and it would still be a year or so until I would quit getting phone calls that said, when are you going to get a real job? I'm, you know, I'm like, are, are you kidding me? I just made three times more than you make this month than you make in a year. What? I don't understand. I mean, that that fear and that addiction to a regular paycheck is really, really, really real for yeah, a lot of people. 100%. I'm, and, 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 and I'm not belittling those people that have it. I'm just saying I'm amazed, you know, because like I said, one of my higher one of my higher reasons is to help people become financially independent and find their own way because it's going to, you know, when you free up 2,600 hours a year that you normally have to give to your boss. I mean, that's a, that's a lot of time. That means time with your family, time with your kids, time with your God, time, you know, uh, being whatever and doing whatever you want to do, being who you're supposed to be. 
that you lose out on when you have a job. So I'm really passionate about that. And so I'm making this point is it's not easy for some people to see their way out of the J-O-B, even if they're only making 3000 a month. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree, agree with you. And I think we've, we've, we've all transitioned into that full-time real estate side or whatever that niche is where we are entrepreneurs full-time where we having to make those things happen. And it's, it's a, it's funny when you have those conversations with somebody that has that fear so instilled in them that they're like, well, what happens if you don't get a paycheck this month? Well, hopefully I made enough the month before that it's covered us for a little while, or we well, have more in closing or coming. Or I went about it a different way and you, and you'll like the way I go about it. I tell my people, don't jump out of your job. You're going to have to yeah. burn your, your candle at both ends. Like everybody else I know in this business that did it. We all started mm-hmm. broke, right? I mean, I, I know a couple of people that started with money. They ended up going broke and then they had to come back, you know, yeah. Because they didn't learn the lessons. You got to learn how to function in this business without money if you're really going to learn it. Mm-hmm. You know, that if you got to, like, people come to me and go, Well, I got, you know, $500,000. I want to get in this business. Will you be my coach? I say, Yeah, well, here's the first thing. We'll do it if you want to do this. If you want to put that $500,000 in a two year CD and not touch it for two years while we figure out how to do it without any money, then I'll be your coach. But if you want to just start throwing around $500,000, you're never going to learn. Yeah. No, that's. I wonder what, what some of our clients would say if we told them that. Because we, we get that a lot. We have a, a lot of uh, people that are in different kinds of trades, but they've done really well with their life, and they're wanting to, they're wanting to taste that, go out on their own, and, and that, that, that adventure. They see that, and they're trying to go at it, and they're like, oh, I've, I've gathered you know a quarter million dollars, half a million dollars. I'm ready to go. And then you you get out there, and they're like, well, you know, how do we make this work? You know, I need to keep scaling, scaling, scaling. And they don't, they're, not, they're missing some of the basics and the fundamentals. Yeah, well, when you learn how to function, like my first my first hundred deals I did with credit cards because I didn't have anything. You know, I learned, you know, I would take those credit cards in. If I used one penny off a credit card, that credit card got taped in the file for that house. Because the last thing I wanted to do was be robbing Peter to pay Paul and not know how much of what house was on what card. So the rule was, if you used one penny off a card, you didn't use it for any other house. That That card got taped in the file for that house, and that was it. So when you got finished... When you sold the house, you know, all, if you sold the house for $100,000, the whole $100,000 went into your bank account because there, w- there was no debt recorded against the house. It was all on credit cards. So then all you do is go to the file, open up the file. I tell my wife, call all the credit cards that are taped into the front folder of that file. Find out what we owe. Send them payments, you know, sign certified mail where they have to sign for it because people would hold their payments until I you know, was late. <laughs> companies would hold my payments they wouldn't deposit them because I, i'd be like three days before the deadline they'd hold them for three days and then it, it was retroactive you know the interest yeah um and and so then i said and then call me and tell me what's left over because that's what we made in profit and and i don't know it's just a bunch of things that you learn when you talk to people that have experience. I told my people, don't jump. You gotta, you've got to get enough owner finance deals coming in so that you've got, if, if, you're, if you're making $3,500 a month at your job, you don't quit your job till you've got $3,500 a month coming in from mortgages, which is pretty for sure money. If you're gonna do this in rent, you've gotta have, have $8,000 in rent coming in to, yeah. to, to clear $3,500. For, for you, because a lot of that money that comes in is going to have to go to other expenses. But if you're collecting mortgages, you just need $3,500 worth of mortgages to cover your $3,500 paycheck, and then you can walk from your boss. Because in that a peace of mind, you know that these mortgages are going for 5, 10, 8, 20, 
30 years. So you know that the money is going to be coming in. So even if you have a slow month and don't make enough again this month to pay your own bills, you got the cash flow coming in that'll pay it. Yeah. Yeah, I love it. I love it. I, Mitch, it's been a pleasure to have you on. We You got to pull a couple little nuggets there. You know, the, the one thing that I, I think struck me about this whole story is, is 96 when you're taping those credit cards together. You got creative to get started, and a lot of people miss that. And, you know, you, starting with no money, you have to go through that. There's trials and tribulations. But nailing it with, hey, I'm going to do this, because I remember when, when I first started, I lost my job and jobless there, and you're trying to make it work. And I took an unsecured loan because I'd sold a bunch of property on uh, owner finance notes. So I took an unsecured loan and seasoned my own notes to, to have a positive cash flow on it and reinvested that money back out so we could buy more deals. And so I, I, I love that you told us that story because often, more often than not, when we get to somebody that's done as many deals as you've been around as long as you have, is they tell us at such a high level and kind of forget that story of how they got where they got, or how they got there. So I, I really appreciate you sharing that with our listeners. I'm a real simple guy. I, I mean, it has to be real simple for me. You know, I'm not a, I'm not a sophisticated, you start getting into, that's why it took me so long to understand the holding the back end of the note and everything. One of those aha moments I told you about, I'm not sophisticated. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm really not all that book smart. You know, I just have a ton of common sense. And if you slow down and talk to me slow enough, or if I can screw up and do something on accident that I've been reading about, then I'll get it. You know, I like <laughs> nothing down by Robert Allen. I read that book. And, and understood what it was telling me, but it was seven years till I screwed up and bought a house with none of my own money. Then I said, holy crap, that's what Robert Allen was talking about. Now I own the concept. <laughs> I went out and proceeded to buy the whole town with nothing. But, yep. but you know, I, I'm a slow learner. I don't, you know, I got to touch the burner a couple of times with both hands, figure out that it's going to burn me. And then I start walking around the burners and I figure out how to deal with it. But... But after 27 years of, you know, doing a lot of deals, I, there, I do know what I'm doing in this, in this arena. And, and I'm not ashamed to say, but it's not because I'm brilliant. It's just because I, I've, been in, I've been fighting the bull for a long time. <laughs> cool. Well, cool. If people want to learn more about you, where, uh, where can they check you out? Uh, go to 1000houses.com. There's everything you want to know. You know, I've been putting out a 10-minute segment every every workday for about six months, and I'm going to keep doing it uh, for a long time. At On YouTube, it's just 1000houses.com forward slash YouTube, and that's 1000houses.com forward slash YouTube. And uh, there's a free 10-minute segment on whatever I could think of that day. And that's everything from you know, owner financing land to adverse possession to you name it. So nice. Very cool. All right, everybody go check that out. 1000houses.com. Mitch, we really appreciate you coming on. Um, it was good talking to you. Uh, guys, as always, do us a favor. Go to Facebook, Instagram, YouTube. Give us a like, a follow, subscribe, and then go to iTunes. Go to Stitcher. Go to wherever else you're listening to us. Like, rate, review, and subscribe to the show. We appreciate it. We love you. See you next Friday. See you guys. Bye now.